Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Dr. Summer Knight. Uh, she's a managing director in Deloitte, Deloitte's Consulting Life Sciences and Healthcare portion or practice. I was going to call it Deloitte and Touche, but I don't think they're called that anymore. I think they're just called Deloitte. And she's the author of a book that recently came out called Humanizing Healthcare that, uh, that portends good things because healthcare uh, seems to be pretty darn dehumanizing as I've experienced and uh, I've spoken to a lot of people about. So uh, Summer, thank you for coming. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. I'm pretty excited of chatting about this topic. Yeah, tell me about your background. Like, why why is it important for you? Why why are you in healthcare in the first place? And you know, why aren't you just one of the like the regular drones that work in it that you know are just running the machine? Why is it? Why do you have a different uh, perspective on it? So I started out my career as a firefighter, paramedic, and turned physician. So already that is a little different from most people's trajectory into healthcare. Um, before that, I really you know, was just looking at the aspect of fighting fires, loading people on gurneys and getting them into the hospital. But it really sparked an interest for me about, you know, I think it was really about that some people would be through these horrific situations and they would survive and other people would be involved in a lesser and they would not. And I remember just being very intrigued as a young paramedic on just that there was more than just the physical side of life. And so um, that really pushed me toward towards healthcare, but also towards really thinking about the human in healthcare. And then that has followed me through in, in my career. I had, as you can imagine, being a, a paramedic, I was thinking to be a trauma surgeon. But in training, I really loved the holistic approach 
of a family family physician where you got to really almost become a member of people's family, especially if you were in more of a mid-sized or smaller town and, and that there was so much to do. So uh, it could be surgery, it could be delivered babies, it could be helping with chronic conditions, pediatrics, there's, there's just so much to do. So that that's what called me. And then just through a really in, interesting set of opportunities and being prepared, I, I just was exposed to more and more. So became an entrepreneur, built a couple of healthcare related businesses, and then got an opportunity to become the chief medical officer for the state of Florida by working on health equities in our community. And then from there, got to go over to the health plan side as a national medical executive and also the head of strategy for a private equity and healthcare business, which had about 13 different businesses and 10 of those were digital health. And then as an entrepreneur, I actually started two digital health companies myself. That was my trajectory through the healthcare system to where I am today, as you mentioned, at Deloitte Consulting. So what prompted you to write the book, Humanizing Healthcare? Like what are the problems with healthcare? So, what led you to, to write the book, Humanizing Healthcare? Yeah, so I was writing this book when I was actually starting one of my digital health businesses. And it was really to address the lack of integration, information sharing, and communication that was really getting in the way of, in, of individuals seeking care and even their, their family, which I call a natural support network, and getting the information that they needed to be effective in their healthcare journey, both from a from an actual treatment perspective, but also in how to manage the financial side of things. And it was frustrating. So we had created a platform to work between that individual healthcare consumer and include their natural support network as well as work with the providers in the plan. And nobody could understand the platform when we first started, as I'm sure people on, on your in your audience have, have built new and interesting systems. And so to explain it, I started writing the book, Humanizing Healthcare, to really show how dehumanizing the situations are and how challenging it is to navigate the healthcare industry and, and really begin to define a framework of moving from where we've been to where we could be from a humanized perspective, because we are a unique industry and that we're here to help people. Yet oftentimes when they're most vulnerable and need our help, that's many times when we actually hurt them the worst. Yeah. I have a, I have an example. Um, my wife was sitting in the, you know, the surgery waiting room waiting for me to have a surgery a couple of years ago. And she overheard this husband was sitting there and I guess his wife was having her thyroid taken out. And the doctors came in and they said, you know, we opened her up and we found this and that. And we have to call the insurance company first to see if we could proceed. So while this lady was under anesthesia waiting there, they were calling the insurance company to see what they're able to do and not do. And that's, that's pretty darn uh, sad from my perspective. I had a, I actually talk about in the book, I share six different people's stories. And one of them, unfortunately, is my own family. And, and my son, Nicholas was ill. And goodness, your story mirrors another story that we had when um, I think it was the 2nd of January, he had a challenging procedure to go into. I walked him into this surgical suite where they laid him down and made him comfortable. And as they went to give him the medicine to, you know, to go to sleep so they can intubate him, I walked out. 
And I got to the, and, and remember, I'm an entrepreneur at this point. So I'm on the state public system, the exchange. And shortly after I sat down, they called across the room and said that our insurance, that we didn't have insurance. And therefore they needed to talk to me about paying for the surgery right now. And can you imagine like the first thing I thought was, are they going to stop his surgery? <laughs> and it turned out it was a technology glitch that there was actually thousands of families that were impacted with the same technology glitch and just that it is the the package of people approved for that for that state exchange program for some reason didn't hit the system right and so we were one of thousands of families but we just we were just kind of the victim of it because we were the 2nd of January so what's um i don't know like what areas of healthcare healthcare is a big broad thing it's a whole huge system what areas of it uh, need the most reform which areas are actually functioning pretty well you know it's it's been an interesting journey and actually a short one so far because the um the books that you referred to humanizing healthcare was only just hit the hit the retail in May and I have been surprised by all the areas that are reaching out healthcare plans and providers are very actively reaching out life sciences and pharma med devices technology organizations and they're all very interested in figuring out how they can work work together in more of a coordinated ecosystem to really solve some of the problems that are in the way of humanizing healthcare. So I wrote the book from the perspective of what I shared in the opening statement, you know, having been a provider and also um, having that experience as a, as a plan executive. But what I'm learning is that all parts of the industry really are empathetic around this, this significant gap. And, and I, I was challenged by a business leader recently who said, you know, this all just feels warm and fuzzy. And you know, we, we shared that there's significant value levers to to addressing the framework for humanizing healthcare, and and that each sector will need to look at different different value levers in how they impact their business. But ultimately, it is a business imperative because these, as we index in on the changes that are happening in healthcare, which are being driven from technology, consumerization of all industries or many industries and regulatory changes happening in healthcare, then came COVID. Those drivers have caused is have forced change in the healthcare system and disruptors are coming in. And if those who are who have traditionally been in healthcare don't make this shift, then they will be eclipsed by these disruptors that are that are coming in. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Well, what do you mean? What's, what's changing about the healthcare system? Well, so we talk about in the book, the three plus one key drivers, which I 
just shared. And then there's also from there driven out seven transformative trends. And from that perspective, for example, been a significant shift in give you an example of one is is value plus responsibility. And and we're seeing this shift around value-based care. And we saw a pretty diluted experience of that, of that intention. The intention was really to begin to share more data with providers, more data that's actionable so that they would be knowledgeable about how to counsel healthcare consumers on the best next action that they could take. However, because we did not have data interoperability and the fluidity that regulations are trying to push forward through our price transparency and the required interoperability that's occurring, it was very difficult for clinicians to actually take action because the data wasn't there. And so therefore, then they couldn't take a level of risk in, the, in that value-based relationship that they will be able to, to do as that data is, is shared and they can begin to take, take action. Well, all right. So like what circumstances seem to, uh, I mean, well, first of all, all right. So the way the healthcare system is, what are the, what are the errors look like? You know, what's the, the unnecessary or the unneeded cost or consequence that people face because of the way the system is right now? So I'll give you one example is there's a tremendous cost from chronic condition management and from over utilizing testing that may not be necessary or may be kind of overdone. And so those are just areas of cost management that individuals think about. But in managing comprehensive care, I'll I'll give you a specific example um, that I felt was very interesting because I had a board member of a very large multi-state healthcare system actually give me a call. And he said, Sama, he says, just driving home from my rheumatologist. And he shared with me that I needed to drink more water to help my joints. But he says, I'm really confused because I was just left my my cardiologist two weeks ago. And the cardiologist said that I needed to drink less water so that my heart didn't have to work so hard. So he says, what do I do? And what's frustrating is that individuals are having to manage the expert opinions of different specialists when if we had what I talk about in this book of really create, you know, creating more of a digital care activation platform where care plans are decked up for people across, you know, in, in the data follows individuals and they're able to look at these care plans and, and then these experts managed by a primary care chronic care intensivist can then can then bring them together and give individuals the right information that they need rather than people having to deal with disparate information. We also see that in medications. Doctors, specialists will prescribe one set of medications and another will, will prescribe another. And, and pretty soon there's so many medications that are being prescribed to somebody that invariably they, there becomes drug drug interactions that that can lead people into the hospital. These problems can can not only be addressed but actually can be thwarted if we had all of this data um, flowing into to a record. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes and allowing physicians to be able to to practice and focus on this intensive coordination. And one of the things that I talk about the book, so that, so 
in humanizing healthcare, the core approaches is that we have to transform our system and that progress is being made, right? So we talked about those drivers. But the other thing is that we have to be able to activate consumers. And the, the goal is to create therapeutic alliances between clinical team and the, and the healthcare consumer to optimize their health, whether or not they're impacted by a chronic or complex condition, and also leverage their natural support network. Because people do not generally only live as a single single entity organism. They actually, you know, run in families, run in group. And so when people are trying to deal with different chronic and complex conditions, they have to work within that family unit to address them. And I have a great story on that, where you know, I, I was working with a diabetic uh, woman who was struggling to try to lose weight. And when her husband, I asked her to bring her husband in to visit. And when he came in, I shared with him, you know, what her blood sugars were doing, what her weight was doing, and, and went through the things that she needed to do and expressed to him that if she didn't do those things, that her life could be shortened. And that, and then he took that to say, and then I might not have my wife for the full length of our, our lives. And the next time I saw them, she had dropped 13 pounds. They had stopped having the meals that he had insisted that she make, which were very carb heavy, and they were eating much more natural food. And they, they actually both expressed that they were feeling better. And that is an example of why we have to keep their um, natural support network connected to their overall experience. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. What's, um, I don't know, what, again, what other facets of, of healthcare need to be changed or modified, you think, to make it more effective? Well, thanks for asking. So I give a, an example of, of really rethinking how, how traditional healthcare has considered the healthcare consumer. And we have named, as many industries do, we have named that healthcare consumer a patient. However, when you think about other industries, the naming of, of the consumer is, can be uplifting. So at a hotel, you're a guest. When you're on a plane, you're a passenger. Um, when you're in the healthcare and you're called a patient, some of that connotation is that activity is going to be and decisions are going to be made for you and things are going to be done to you. And in the framework of thinking through the new activated consumer, Instead, we like to elevate their, their standing in the um, hierarchy of healthcare. Right now, healthcare is fundamentally in the provider space built around doctors. And, and even many of us, or most of us would say, if you were to ask, you know, you know, what's your connection to the healthcare system, you would name a doctor. And instead, what we're suggesting in this new architecture of what the new healthcare system would look like of tomorrow is that we elevate the healthcare consumer and make the ability for them to become activated consumers and put them actually at the top of the pyramid for the hierarchy and then support them with not only their natural support network um, of family, friends, and volunteers, but also of their clinical team supported by a guide. And that is where that core relationship happens around creating a therapeutic alliance because that guide 
is able to work with the healthcare consumer and help them to navigate through both the clinical as well as through the, the financial, as well as through the other services that we don't think so much about in healthcare, such as health inequities. So what's getting between you and purchasing the new prescription that your doctor just ordered? Oh, you're trying to make a decision about purchasing that versus purchasing a graduation gift for your grandson. Okay, that's that makes sense that you're having some challenges. Let's see what we can do. And the healthcare just doesn't take the time usually to try to really understand what's happening and how people are making decisions. Then the other part of the reconstruction is instead of building buildings where people have to go to the healthcare system, we need to build digital infrastructure and make that the basis of care, even for primary care. And think about the delivery of wellness, preventative health, and primary care. And that that is what I referred to as a digital care activation platform, which then allows for all the data to flow through for insights engines from a analytics perspective, a nudging of not just the clinical team, but also the healthcare consumer and whoever they designate designate for nudging um, to be able to remind them to do preventative care, to remind them how to take care of their chronic condition, to answer questions as, as they need. And then in that situation, when, when individuals are digitally connected, then we can be, begin to bring the full force of the life sciences healthcare ecosystem to support them because now there is a tangible connection point and it's not just anchored on when an individual takes themselves to their doctor and visits for such a small percentage of their time. Instead, we're longitudinally connected for the whole journey. Well, I can tell you that for me, it begins with either respect or not respect or being listened to or not of the doctor. You know, I've gone to doctors where I feel like they didn't listen to me and they give me a prescription. I just walk out and throw it in the garbage because <laughs> I don't trust them. I'm serious. I, I, I like agree. them. And, you know, if there's no respect there, if there's no time, there's no none of that, then all this other follow-up stuff, I think, will fall flat. You know, you, you bring up a really core point, which is the def- – I've been using a term therapeutic alliance, and it's actually a term that I created. But, you know, your comments were actually about the, the definition of that. And – the way, the way I define that is a bond between the healthcare consumer, their healthcare team, and their natural support network based on a mutual sense of caring, a core goal towards health optimization, and trust. So you nailed it. And in the book, we talk about the fact that reshaping the care team will create these therapeutic alliances. And I actually advocate that that therapeutic alliance doesn't have to necessarily happen between the doctor and the individual, but potentially through a core team member on that clinical team, such as the guide, and that that guide really is focused not on clinical knowledge, but on um, on emotional intelligence and uh, and integrity to get exactly to what your po- your your point is, and then the idea around the digital care activation platform is how we scale these therapeutic alliances, and then the last point um, to your I'm going to throw you know throw the prescription in the garbage is that you know there most people go into healthcare because they want to help people. But there are so many different types of personalities that go into that that do enter that um, when we look at personalities, not all personalities connect. 
And so, for example, there's people in the audience that just because of my personality and because of their personality, they're not going to connect, even if my message is completely on point. And so the importance of that is that we do need to be able to have that fluidity in the in the care team to really be able to align um, healthcare consumers with the right, the correct care team member to create that level of trust and integrity in the relationship because people's lives are on the line. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, how do, uh, does your book provide instruction or encouragement to the, you know, the healthcare community or like, what's the next step? You got the book, which is important to bring awareness, but now the doing, how do you make change? Yeah, you're right on. You know, it's interesting because we, uh, so, so we're early on the journey, but one of the things that we recognize is first of all, a little plug on the book is that all royalty proceeds do go to non-for-profit um, to impact health equities. And the non-for-profit is called one, onehumankind.org. And so when we actually talk with business leaders, we, we share that there's two ways um, that there's, first of all, a framework with um, three pillars and that to, a, to, to really start to think about integrating humanizing healthcare into your business, those three pillars are relationships. So really what, you know, just getting clear about what is that relationship with the healthcare consumer that you are willing to create, not just that you want to, but you're willing to take the effort to create. And then what do you have to do from the third, the second pillar is the organ, your organization. What do you have to do in the organization to be able to create that experience? And, and what do you have to do from a strategy perspective, an organizational perspective, a people perspective? And then the last one is, how do you need to behave on a macro level in the greater in the greater ecosystem? Are there things you need to lobby about? Do you need to you know to um, to partner with other organizations to really walk your talk? And so when organizations come to us and say, "We love your humanizing healthcare revolution platform that you've created," you know, we've read the book, we agree with this, we disagree with this, because of course, you know, no 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 book is perfect. What we say is there's two there's two ways to get involved. One is to activate. So really, what are you going to do to humanize healthcare? And so that's using the framework. And then number two is like let's amplify that. Let's share those ideas out in in, in the ecosystem for other you know other folks to know about it. First of all, you know consumers might be more attracted to what you're doing, but also for other people to to learn from it as well. So that's how people get a chance to activate. And we're seeing we're seeing leaders from multiple sectors getting very much excited about this opportunity to join the humanizing healthcare revolution. Very good. So what's um what's your plan over the next year or two? Where are you taking all this? You know, it's funny um, when you write a book and you release it. I should say I shouldn't say you because that's that's the greater person. When I wrote this book. When I first started writing it, I mentioned that I was writing it to explain what I was doing in, in our digital health business. And I did not recognize that I would end up finishing the majority of the content for it in a, in a hospital next to my son as he was battling cancer. And it was a very challenging experience. And so then we come full circle and it's out in the greater world. There's folks um, getting excited about it, but you asked me such an interesting question because literally what I didn't expect from the book is that there are so many people excited about the humanizing healthcare revolution and really making change and partnering and, and using their voices 
And I'm hearing from both healthcare leaders and consumers that we literally have decided to create, you know, we've already created a bunch of statements around it and the, the strategy for, for launching actually the full, a full revolution. So, so we're moving that forward and we've had CEOs agree to do kind of radical collaborations for it. So I think we're going to see the healthcare life sciences industry begin to use humanizing healthcare as their North Star. And that's what I see in a year from now is really being in the thick of that and helping different sectors um, define what that means. Well, very good. Summer, where's the best place for people to go? Should they start with your book on Amazon or what resources do you have for them? Yeah, so I would love for people to pick up the book. If you read it and you love it, then review it on Amazon. If you read it and you don't love it, then reach out to me on social media through my website, humanizing.healthcare, and give me great feedback. Um, I, I really appreciate the you know people who agree, but I also really appreciate those who don't because I think it pre- it presses all of our thinking. So really, I'm interested in people's perspectives. And then if you if you want to know more, I actually pay attention to all the messages. It might take me a little while to get back to them, but I'd love to hear from po- folks. Well, very good. Well, Summer, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.